Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's going on, Charlotte Hornets fans? It is I, Darian Thomas, your host of the Trust the Buzz podcast, a part of the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, today we got an interesting show. We the Hornets have done some things, good uh, and bad. We'll talk about the good first and kind of briefly talk about the bad because the bad is losing two straight games to the Bucks and they kind of lost in the same way. While the offense was better in the second time around at home, it there still were some things to be desired, some questionable rotations, some questionable just things in general. So we'll talk about that last. But we do have a new player as well as a new president of basketball operations. So we'll be getting into that first. So first off, to start, we will talk about Jeff Peterson, our new president of basketball operations, not our new GM. I know there was some confusion about that uh, when the news first broke was whether he was going to be the president of basketball operations or was he going to be the GM? Well, He is going to be the president of basketball operations. The Hornets are still looking to find who is going to be the GM. Um, I will briefly explain to me what the difference is between a president and a GM. Uh, So essentially from what I understand, and this is before we get into Jeff Peterson, kind of why he's qualified for the role. uh, The difference between the two is the fact that a president is someone who is kind of the liaison between the general manager and the, and also the owners. The president is going to be the one to kind of operate and control the overall roadmap of how they want the team to look. That's why it's important for your GM and president to kind of share the same ideas is because that you know like i said the president is going to be the one to say okay these are the type of players we want this is how we want to build this is what i want to do and the gm kind of acts on that typically you'll see around the league that one person will share these these roles as i mean we just had mitch Kupchak. he was the president of basketball operations as well as the general manager and as we see now, uh, the Hornets are looking to split that up into two different roles. And I think that's a good thing because of the fact that if you're the Hornets, so much has been kind of like a one-stop shop with this organization. So it was Mitch, who was, of course, buddy-buddy with Michael Jordan. And then Mike, it was only those two people were really the only ones making any decision. So there was really no checks and balances. I feel as though having a president of basketball president of basketball operations i'll just keep saying president having a president and having a gm and having those work together even if they may see eye to eye i think having two people in that in in those roles is good because it provides one to check the other and i think that while the owners so far have been pretty hands-on they're going to be looking to kind of be hands-off to me that's kind of what it looks like they want to be engaged owners so of course when stuff hits the fan I think they want to be there. They want to be the ones to come in and say, hey, you know, they want to get in front of it. I'm, I'm not saying they're they're just going to be like, OK, I'm pretending, you know, that you're that the team's not there. No, I think they're going to be involved owners. I think they just don't want to be involved too much in the decision. And that is because they're going to put faith in that the people they put in place to make the decisions are making the correct decisions. Of course, they're going to have the final say. They're the owners. It's how any business works. But I feel as though. 
they're going to trust their guys. They're not going to go too, you know, they may say their opinion, but I don't think they're going to go. It's not going to be from what is rumored, what we heard with Michael Jordan, where people were just scared to say no because they didn't want to lose their job or you just don't want to tell Michael Jordan no. I think they're going to be willing to hear no. I think they're going to be willing to hear the opinions of, of the people they put in place. I'm just saying overall, I feel as though they're going to be like, look, we trust y'all. That's the whole reason we got gave y'all the job. Do what you do. Yes, we may have some things here and there that we would like to see, but we're going to it's up to you to implement it. We're telling you what we want. You find a way to implement it and so on and so forth. That's why I feel like that's kind of the difference between a president and a GM. Like I said, they kind of need to work together because the GM is going to be the one to act every day with call ups and changes and, you know, rock trades and all that stuff. But the president is going to be the one to kind of say, okay, this is what I want our team to look like. This is kind of mentality I want to adopt and not necessarily X's and O's mentality, but just, okay. This is kind of like the players you're trying the type of players you're trying to bring in the type of culture you want to build those type of things. Cause ultimately when it comes down to X's and O's and who gets rotational minutes and things like that, that is comes down to the coach. Once they get a coach, I'm pretty sure as all good GMs do, they want to make their coach successful because it makes them successful. So they're going to give their coach the type of players they want. But like I said, the roadmap, how we're going to do it, how we're going to get to where we want to be, that's all up to the president. And like I said, the GM acts on it. So Jeff Peterson, <laughs> I know that it was a lot, but Jeff Peterson, I, I like to hire. I, I know that's basically what you came for. And I'm sorry that it took five minutes to get there, but I, I really, really enjoyed the hire. Uh, 35 years old, so he's young, relatable to the players, which is one of the biggest things you'll see about him. No matter what article you read, podcast you'll see, anything like that, you will hear that Jeff Peterson is a very relatable guy as far as like from him to the players. Um, from also what I've seen is that as much as players like him, the staff likes him as well. So sometimes you'll see in sports in general, I will just say, yeah, we'll just keep it at sports. In sports in general, you'll see a player a player may have high hopes for someone or may really like someone, but it does not necessarily apply for the staffs, for the GMs, the coaches. They may not feel the same way. Uh, it could be different reasons. Sometimes it's jealousy. Sometimes it's just the fact that if you are able to relate to the players, it may not mean you're not – I'm not going to say mature enough, but you're not kind of I – don't, I don't really don't know the word for it, but it's just – you're not as in tune or 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 taking a role as serious probably as you should be. Sometimes it's like that is that. But no, everything I've seen about Jeff Peterson is that players love him, they relate with him, they want they they want to build a relationship with him, but also he is able to have that same rapport with important people, with owners, with staff, with other GM. Well, you know what I mean? So that's gonna be huge for us going into the future because being able to have a guy that the players are willing to talk to, players are willing to deal with on a on a level outside of just basketball, I think is going to be huge. Of course, you know basketball is going to be the main thing, but to have a player to be able to feel like they can trust the guy uh, has the team's you know best interest at heart. A guy who's kind of caught up with the times because I feel like sometimes we're talking to Mitch, players probably felt like ah, this guy's out of touch. How do we get it to him that, you know, maybe we should be doing this or we should look for this? And I'm not saying that players were doing that, but I'm saying that it is possible. With Jeff Peterson, from all the accounts I've heard, he's a guy where players trust his judgment. Players believe that he is going to do what he needs to do to help the team. Now, granted, he's been in the assistant GM, so it's hard to tell, like, what 
in Brooklyn was he really in charge of? You know, I have a couple of things that I like to mention later on that I know of uh, just from reading reading about him. But I wouldn't take what's going on with Brooklyn, Brooklyn right now and compare it to what is going on. Uh, as far as if if Jeff Peterson's the guy, because we know we saw Jacques Vaughn get fired. We know the team quite isn't doing that well. Um, to me, honest, I mean, I think they're doing pretty well considering you had three superstars and now and then they couldn't work out because they were always injured. And then you traded all of them basically in a season. And this is what you ended up with. I, I think you're pretty good off, but maybe it coming off as a Hornets fan. It's a little different. But overall, um, I feel as though you can't look at where the Nets are and put that on him. What I will say is that from what I read, that he was in charge of specifically scouting Cam Thomas, and we know Cam Thomas is a bucket. There's other things you can talk about his game that you may not be comfortable with, but at the end of the day, we know Cam Thomas is a bucket. Uh, so I think him being in charge of that, that's good to hear. Uh, the other things I hear about him as, as well is just how – he operates. He's someone he will do anything that you ask him to do. I've literally read an article about it on The Athletic, and I really wish I could remember the reporter's name. But he was essentially saying that Jeff Peterson is the type of guy, and he heard this from Sean Marks, who's the GM of the Brooklyn Nets. Sean Marks is the type of guy he will go get coffee for other people, not even on some like I'm the intern. I'll do whatever you need me to do. He's just that type of guy. He's not going to look at his title and be like, oh, well, I should have been doing this. He wants to be involved in every part of the process and not necessarily as in involved as in I'm telling you what to do. I'm, I'm putting in my input. A lot of times it's sitting back, observing, understanding, listening. And that comes back from his days with the Atlanta Hawks. So that's where his connection with Rick Snall comes into play is that they were in uh, Atlanta together. As we know, Rick Snall was a minority owner of the Atlanta Hawks. And Jeff Peterson was an intern. I don't know exactly what department he was an intern in, but he was an intern. And in four years, he went from intern to assistant GM. So that shows you the growth. That shows you how you don't get that like by happens. You you do you have to do certain things to get that and to get that rapport. As in being a guy who also wasn't really in the league, as from what I understand, he spent a lot of time playing college ball, and that was kind of that's kind of it for him. Being someone that wasn't in the league, to be able to get that kind of uh just go up the hierarchy so quickly is astonishing to me. And it, and it tells you about his character. So him seeing the how the organizations work from intern to assistant GM, I think that's going to be very valuable into how he handles this role as the president. Because one thing about a good leader, good manager, wherever you want to call it, even let's let's just say manager, but we'll use it on a more relatable level level for working. A a good manager is going to be someone who's been in your spot. Like for me, I'm a, I, I work as a uh, product manager and I have managers. The best manager, like my manager, the reason he's so good is because he's been in my shoes. He's done what I've done before. And so, yes, times have changed. Things change yearly, daily, but he understands the ups and downs. He's able to relate. So therefore, when he makes a decision, he has 
our best interest in at heart because at one point that was his best interest. Now, of course, sometimes you're put in certain positions as a leader that you may cannot cater to everyone, but it's good to know that you, you know, it's as, as someone who's under that person, it's good to know that, hey, this person has been in my position. I trust them until they give you a reason not to. I trust them to act in a way that they have me in the back of their mind, not necessarily me, but my role. And I feel as though that is something you can expect when working with Jeff Peterson. He's been an intern. He's like I said, in four years, he went from intern to assistant GM. So he knows the roadmap. He's been there, done that. He's seen how just different parts of an organization. So him being able to apply that into building a team and, and, and also and this is another thing. We're not just building a team here. We're building a whole organization. We're rebuilding the whole franchise, essentially what the Kings went through or currently are going through, that's kind of what we're trying to do is we're trying to revamp everything. Yes, on on court, that's what we see the most. So that's what you're always going to be looking forward to. But in reality, we're revamping everything. So it's good to have a guy who kind of understands just the business inside and out. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, that's what the NBA is. It's a business. So I think Jeff Peterson is the perfect guy for that. Like I said, I've heard nothing, nothing but great things about him. Um, I, I really wish there was more on some decisions he's personally made outside of the Cam Thomas one, but that was the only one I was able to find. But once you're the assistant, I mean, you know, being an assistant GM is hard to kind of really tell. I saw some things here and there talking about he was respons- not responsible, but he played a big part in KD and Kyrie coming to Brook, well, going to Brooklyn. Um, and I also saw that he played like AAU ball with KD. I don't, I don't really, I'm not going to really sit there and, you know, pin, take that apart and dissect that. I don't think that's going to play a big part as far as like him being able to recruit players to Charlotte. At the end of the day, I don't think this is the thing. I don't think you'll be able to get people to come from free agency to Charlotte. What to Mitch Kupchak used it as a crutch. He just, he wasn't wrong, but you do need someone to, you do need someone to sell Charlotte to people they bring in. And that is where I feel like there that will be the difference between someone like Jeff Peterson and even a new GM in Mitch Kupchak. I feel as though, and I know this, it's hard to really talk about like the past regime just because there's so many rumors about like, oh, well, this is all Michael. And it's easy to say that because he's not around anymore. I mean, he's a minority owner, but you get the point. Um, and then Mitch, it just it's just really hard to gauge him. Like I, sometimes you feel like he's full of crap. But in other times, it's like, eh, I just can't tell. And, and that's kind of how I feel. I do feel like, of course, I'm not sitting here saying that he doesn't deserve any blame, but it's just it's just really hard to tell. And I'm not. We're past that now. So I, I'm not really trying to uh, stay on that too much. But I think that's going to be the true difference between Mitch Kupchak and Jeff Peterson is the fact that Mitch was t- either told or believed himself that, oh, it's Charlotte. We're not going to bring anybody to Charlotte through free agency. It's not L.A. It's not Chicago. It's not New York. Fine. I don't think he's necessarily wrong there. However, that shouldn't stop you from trying to make moves. And once again, I think that's where Jeff Peterson comes in because let's say he tra- – like very, let's just use Jeff Peterson in the Cleveland Cavaliers situation. Donovan Mitchell still may leave, but whatever. We'll just pretend he's not. They need someone – they made a trade knowing Donovan Mitchell 
he kept talking about New York once he got there. He was talking about New York before then, this and that. He ended up not going. Yes, you still could lose him, but look, I think the trade you made is worth what you're getting out of that team. Yes, they filled it out last year, but it was literally the first year that we we've seen this we've seen this time and time again. It it's hard for it to work out that first year. This year looks a lot better. I say that because they got injured, and then they're still playing well. Jeff Peterson could sell, and we're like I said, we're substituting him as for the Cleveland president of basketball operations. He could sell Donovan Mitchell on staying in Cleveland. Yes, we already got you, but how are we going to keep you? By but obviously, you see the team's good. We'll pay you good money. This, that, and the other. That's what Jeff Peterson can do for Charlotte. Is yes, I'm trading for someone who may not have had Charlotte on their list of teams to go to. But it's my job to, because winning is going to keep a lot of players. So my it's my job to make sure this team wins, and it's my job to build a relationship with that player to feel like they know I have their back. Yes, you are not in the destination you wanted to be. You're not in LA. You're not in Chicago. You're not in Miami. You're not in these places. But you know I have your back. You know I'll do whatever you you need done. And those are the type of relationships you can build. And I feel I trust in him to build those relationships. Him being young, him being well renowned around the league. There's Nets fans clamoring, saying they wanted Sean Marks gone and Jeff Peterson to take his place. I I like you see articles, you see people talking, but a lot of people say that Sean Marks, if he listened to Jeff Peterson, the team would be way up, way better off. I can't speak to that. I will keep doing my own research, but you see that a lot. Nets fans are high, high, high on Jeff Peterson. So I think the Hornets made a great move. You had to go young if you're the owners. You had to get someone young in there. One to show everybody that you're serious. Because if you just hired an old another old guy based on our past, it could be seen as okay, they're they're really not doing anything different. They're just, you know, hyping everybody up. But no, you got someone young. That shows to me, like I said, it shows me you're serious. But it also shows me you're in tune with your fan base. Because one of the biggest grievances with the Hornets was, hey, look, we got this really young team. Really young team to the point where you know, people say they're immature, whichever you can you can say whatever you want. And there there's some cases to back that up for sure. Hundred percent. Not gonna pretend there's not. But it it was no in between. It was and and I'm just exaggerating here, but it was a 70 year old staff, 50 year old staff, 60 year old staff, and literally 19, 20 year old players. And to corroborate that, they got Gordon Hayward, who I've said this time and time again. Gordon Hayward's a leader by example, but with him hurt all the time, he can't lead. He's useless. Terry Rozier, I think he was a solid leader, and he was trying to grow into a leader in his own right, but he didn't even have the proper guidance to help him do so. And that's not an age thing. Because like we're seeing him with Grant Williams, I want to say he might be younger than Miles Bridges. But we've seen how Grant Williams has been able to transform how this team communicates, how this team operates. Like it's, it's just a it's just different. Even in the last couple of games against the Bucks, what we've lost. It's just it's just different. Terry Rozier just wasn't able to 
to do that. And a lot of it was because just the gap was so significant. So being able to bring in someone who can just understand that and be at that level, they're 36. It's not he if he wanted to, he could still play. I'm not saying to his skill, but I'm saying age wise, he could still be in the league. I think that says something and that and that's what's going to help us out now for our GM. I think they might try to have someone a little older, a little more experience, uh, because, like I said, Jeff Peterson, as great as much as praise I just gave him, he did go from assistant GM to president. He skipped a level because usually it's like GM in that in there somewhere. So it's not too much of a jump because, like I said, GM and assist. Uh, I'm sorry, GM and president is kind of the same thing sometimes for some organizations, but for this organization, it's seen as different. Now, is there a hierarchy as in president and GM? I'm not sure. Uh, like I said, usually it's one person, so it's at one level. I don't know how they're going to stagger it here, but we'll see. But I do feel like they might get someone with a little more experience. I know real quick we can talk about Wes Wilcox. Um, he was also there in Atlanta when Jeff when Jeff Peterson was there and Rick Snall was there. So there's that. And then also there was um, – sorry, I had to let my cat out. But anyway, like I was saying, um, Wes Wilcox was there in Atlanta with Rick Snall, with uh, – with Jeff Peterson and he also was like he was like the GM but he also to me is in a weird position because yes he was listed as GM but technically Mike Budenholzer was the GM he was the guy that ran the shots and if you look at what happened there it wasn't much so you can't really say Wes Wilcock is either good or bad because of the fact that once again, Mike Budenholzer was really seen as a GM, and then also not much changed, not not anything crazy happened. Um, what you can look at, however, is Wes Wilcox being a special, quote-unquote, special advisor. After his stint as GM for two years, he went as a special advisor with the Hawks, and during that time they got Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, uh, Kevin Herter. I'm missing people. Uh, Double O, I believe. Was double O? No, double O was after. Um, but yeah, like I said, DeAndre Hunter, Trey Young, Kevin Herter, those guys to eventually end up having the Hawks be a Western an Eastern Conference Finals. And a lot of that was Trey being Trey. But still, I mean, you could also look at it as maybe he was part of the reason that they traded um, Luca. But whatever, I digress. You still made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And literally, I felt like at some points could have made it to the finals, but injuries and yada, yada. Anyway, he goes from there and then goes to the Kings. And he's been with the Kings since, with the Kings since 2020 and has been part of that revitalization with the Kings. And I feel as though both of those situations mimic the Hornets very closely. And if anything, between the Kings and between the Hawks and where they were when he got there. I think the Hornets are in a better off spot. The Hawks were just coming off those years of being good, but losing to LeBron in the Eastern conference finals. Like every year, I think uh, where they had, you know, Kyle Corver, uh, 
was in the show to know. No, it was Jeff T, Paul Millsap, Damari Carroll, Al Horford, uh, those guys. They went from that and then they were kind of like coming down. So uh, Wes Wilcox was there. Jeff Peterson was there for that. And then Wes Wilcox leaves, goes to the Kings, and he's part of, you know, getting Halliburton, trading Halliburton, getting Sabonis, and getting Malik Monk, getting all these other guys to kind of fit around that. I mean, and of course he's still there, so he's part of, you know, that probably explains, now that I think about it, it kind of maybe explains why Kevin Harder ended up going from the Hawks to the Kings. Um, he's responsible for getting Davion Mitchell, even though Davion Mitchell isn't getting as many minutes as, you know, you would expect. Um, but he's in charge of kind of putting that roster together as well. Yes, he's assistant GM, but, you know, I, I see the similarities. And those teams ended up being good. So, yes, he wasn't there for to see the Hawks' vision come together, but it did. And if anything, you could look at lack of coaching before. I think Quinn Snyder's a good coach, but I just think the Trey Young and DeJounte Murray thing just kind of isn't working out. If you would have gave maybe either or a better fit, a better compatible player, that that team would be different. Um, so then, and then you go into the Kings, and now, you know, he's there for that, and he's reaping the benefits of it. The Kings are. A top what five team in the West? Let me check really quick. The Kings are currently, uh, oh, they're they're eight, <laughs> they're eight. But that's because the West is so crazy. So they literally could be five to eight. It just literally depends on the day. Either way, I think the Hornets will take being eight, and not only just being eight, because that that's kind of where you you lose it looking at the Western Conference. They're thirty three and twenty five. With De'Aaron Fox missing significant time in earlier in the season, so I think if you're the Hornets, you're going to take that. So it's it's hard for me to completely give my stamp of approval as I'm sitting here watching Wimby go crazy against the Thunder. Um, it's easy. It's not. It's hard for me to give my stamp of approval on Wes Wilcox as I was able to for Jeff Peterson, and it is not even that they're going to sign Wes Wilcox, but. It's hard for me to get my stamp of approval because he was in those positions where it seems as though he was part of something good, but we don't really know how much he contributed to that. The reason I'm able to give Jeff Peterson a lot of praise because he's kind of in the same position where he was around for a lot of those things, but not necessarily you don't know how much credit you can give him, is that there are there are pieces, articles, people talk about him. He's, he's well-renowned and well-respected around the league. So it, it's easier for me to give my stamp of approval with that information than it is for someone like Wes Wilcott. But like I said, if you look at the situations he was in, they were great. All right. So now time to move to the next player. There's really not much to talk about, but uh, we did sign Alexei Pokashevsky. Uh, he was the 17th pick in the 2022 NBA draft, if I'm not mistaken. Seven feet, can handle the ball, can play defense, can shoot a little bit. Um, that I mean, that's really it. You, the, the thing is, you got to get him to do that. Uh, he, he has all the tools in the world, to be honest. He, he's a seven-footer that can put the ball on the floor. He can play make. He, by, by, when I say he can't, it's not like I'm saying he's doing it at such a high level. It's just that he has been able to do it consistently. It just may not be the best-looking thing in the world. But he can play make. He can shoot. He can defend. I think he's a relatively smart player. I've seen a couple like interviews with him talking about the game. 
and, and he seemed like he's he's he knows what he's talking about. He just didn't really get the minutes, and also he when he finally did, he got hurt. And, and looking at OKC, even though they did just lose this game to the Spurs, I mean, OKC's deep. I mean, that's the reason why we got uh, Valencia uh, Michich, um, Davis Bertans, Trey Mann. Um, now, now that we have them and I've been able to watch them more, they're leaps and bounds better than what we had, but you can understand why they weren't getting much time um, on OKC. And granted, they're also a little rusty. I think Trey Mann brought a good point, which is something I actually never thought about is when you're traded from one team to another, a team you don't play on to a team that, hey, we're asking you to be a starter, it's you. Its condition is completely different. Condition is completely different. So these guys are still getting their legs underneath them, and they're, it's not their fault that they have to be a huge part of our team. Because think about it. Four out of the five new guys that we got, not counting Pokashevsky, all those guys didn't play. So now they're being asked to play. And, yes, I think they're better than what we had, but it, it's not easy. Uh, and then as soon as you kind of got in a groove, all-star break happened. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be strange to see what they do with Pokashevsky. I mean, he got a two-year deal. And the second year is not guaranteed, so that's a good thing. But I'm not expecting much. And even if this hits, um, he's like a high-end JT Thor, which may be good, may be bad. I, he could be better than that. He's going to be the type of guy where that every good team needs where if you're missing someone, he can come in and fill in. And I think he can fill in multiple roles. OKC used him kind of as a wing at times. I want, I'm interested to see how how we look using him as a big, considering we have Miles Bridges, considering we have Grant Williams. I'm interested to see kind of how that goes. Um, I, I don't know how they're going to use him, but being able to play maybe from the post is something that I think will be interesting uh, because we have guys that can cut such as Miles, such as LaMelo even, uh, Trey Mann. Like we have we have a bunch of guys that can cut. We have a bunch of guys that can get open. So I, I would like to see what decent passing from the post could look like, even though Pokoshevsky is not necessarily a post player. But you you get what I'm saying. It, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be – I mean, we're just going to see. It's going to be better off than if Grant Williams were to get hurt, we had to bring in J.D. Thor. That, that's really all I could say. Um, he has – like I said, he has the tools. I think he has the potential as well. He's just got to find it. He's a he has a thin frame. I would like to go back and see how much is he impacted by that thin frame. But other than that, I mean, you, you really have nothing to lose here. You really have nothing to lose. It makes sense. You have all his former teammates, guys he probably worked out with closely because they all didn't play. Um, they're all on the team now. It, it just makes all the sense in the world. They say he's going to spend a lot of time in the G League, which I think is good because as I said in my YouTube video, that pro- will probably come out at the same time as this. Poku being able to uh, play in the G League is good because he's the type of player that what he's good at is not sitting at the corner and then being a 3 and D guy. That's just not what he's good at. And that's kind of the only minutes he's going to get um, at, at playing at the NBA level right now. And I just don't think that's what he's for. He he does a lot more than that. So being in the G League is going to allow him to kind of experiment and see what's good, what's bad, build up a uh, conditioning, all these things. Nick Smith Jr. as well. That's why I thought it was such a good idea for just saying, even though he got recalled tonight, but I think that's just because they were in North Carolina. But uh, Nick Smith Jr. getting putting in the G League, I don't think it was, hey, you suck, you're going to the G League. It was, 
a lot of times they just had Nick Smith Jr. in the corner. Now, granted, he ended up being one of the best three-point shooters in the league because of that. But that if you know anything about Nick Smith Jr. Per, before, well, pre-injury, yeah, pre-injury at Arkansas, that is literally not what he does. He was a good off-ball cutter, but a lot of times he had the ball in his hand. It, it was just he did a lot more than what we've seen him do at the NBA level. Now, roles change. Things change. I'm not saying that that's impossible, but – I mean, it's the rookie year of this guy's career. Let him let him work and let him be able to kind of play his game. I feel like that's that's what's most important is that when you're bringing in a player, and Poku's going to be very much the same. When you're bringing in a player, I don't think you want to change right away what they do. I think you want them to maximize what they do and then find a role for them and say, okay, you can do this and you can do this and you can do this. But I think trying to incorporating them into the team while changing their role while before they can even get a grip on what they actually do. I think that's where it kind of sometimes it, like development messes up. So let him go to the G league is going to allow him to be Poku. And then we can look at his game and say, okay, well this is how we can use him at the NBA level. Um, that's it. I mean, I'm going to really quick. I'm going to talk about the bus games. They both sucked. Giannis was hitting threes. I should tell you all, all you need to know. Um, <clears throat> Bucks get every foul. You can't play defense against them. I hate the Nassis. What else is there to talk about? <laughs> that that's really it with the Bucks. There we did better the second game. We were shooting better. Miles Bridges kind of shot us out the game at times, and that's frustrating. I know, like him, our team as a whole. We need to figure out ways to score when. Someone like Brooke Lopez in the paint. Because when Brooke Lopez in the paint, we just act like we couldn't go up at him. And no, it's not the smartest thing to keep going up on Brooke Lopez. But that is where, and we can talk about this another time, but that is where I feel like there's limitations to Steve Clifford being a coach. One, on defense. Let's, let's, before we talk about the offense, let's talk about defense. For some reason, when the Bucks would have uh, Giannis – and Bobby Portis out there, I would see Nick Richards out there. And Nick Richards would, like, somehow always end up on Bobby Portis. And then even when, even a few times when he was out there with Brooke Lopez, he would be on Brooke Lopez. And to me, that doesn't make any sense. Why put him out there on the shooter when he's the defender, when he's the guy to defend our rim? Why not put him on Giannis? I know it's crazy, but I'm going to let Giannis settle for jump shots and shoot threes all day. Yes, he made the two threes he took. But it's not like he was just going to light it up for 10 threes. I don't understand why they didn't just put – I I personally would have sat Nick in the paint and just said, all right, you want to give the ball to Giannis. Everybody else play defense. Miles Bridges, you don't have to worry about battling someone as strong in the paint as Giannis. You can just sit out there on Brook. Everybody else, guard your man. Don't let them hit open. Don't let them get open threes. And Nick is you and Giannis. Giannis has to come at you. If you foul out, you foul out. But I think it would have been better than Nick basically every time getting pulled out the paint. And then it's just Miles Bridges or Grant Williams in there. Didn't make any sense. Did not make any sense to me. So that's one thing I would change. And then, like I said, on offense. <sighs> I mean, not everybody was hitting, so it allowed we we just weren't hunting. Like I feel like on sometimes on on when other teams play us, 
they, for example, tonight, Nick Richards, they find a weakness. All right, put him on a perimeter. All right, go to work. Um, In the, the first game, every time Bertans came in and Dane was in, Dane was, I want him on me, of course. We don't do that. We don't exploit their weaknesses. Like, every time Brooke Lopez got matched up on somebody on the perimeter, they cooked him. And, I mean, it's not to say Brooke Lopez is this horrible defender, but him guarding Trey Mann is just not going to work. But we didn't take advantage of that. Even Trey Mann didn't take advantage of that. There was a couple of times he got past a couple of people and just didn't pull the trigger, and I don't understand why. So there's some things we got to figure out. Uh, that's where I lose faith in Steve Clifford. He says all the right things in post game, but it's just in game certain things. It just doesn't make any sense. I like. I'm not saying that what I said about Nick Richards is 100 guaranteed to work. It's Giannis. It's not going to be easy to guard him. Maybe he would have went on and hit 10 threes, but it just didn't make sense to me why we would put one. Okay, one in the first game. Grant Williams guarded Giannis way better than Miles did. Why Why did Miles keep ending up on, uh, not Grant Williams, but Giannis, and then Grant will be on Bobby Portis? Like, as active as they are trying to switch that to get Miles on Giannis, the Hornets should do a better job of making sure that they stay in position because both Grant and Miles are able to switch that pretty easily. So I don't understand why it was that way. I don't know. There's just a lot of things I feel as though it's small details, and I, I'm not sitting here saying it's going to work. But what I am saying is that it was worth trying, and there's a lot of things we just don't try or, tr- or do. Like, as we can keep saying, Cody Martin should not be point guard. Why not let Trey Mann run point guard? Misich, as much as I like his passing, he is too much of an offensive liability to be a true backup point guard. Maybe it's going to look better once the mellow's in there and then the whole team looks different. But he's way too much of an offensive liability. He's good at getting past people. I need him to be a little more aggressive at the rim. He takes like bad jump shots or just trying to throw the ball up, hoping he gets. I don't know. There's some things he does wrong as well. But Cody Martin should not be point guard. I don't care how many little dinks and dunks and alley oops he gets. Tita should not be point guard. He can start currently the way the team is. He can start. I have no problem with him starting. Let Trey Mann run point guard. It doesn't make any sense. Trey Mann has the ability to get by people. He's able to break down the defense, unlike Cody Martin. He is a good passer. I like the way he scans the floor. He's not just looking at, like, one read. I think he's just better at it. And, yes, he's a new guy, so maybe you don't want to overwhelm him. But, overall, I think it should be Trey Mann. But that's it. I mean, there's really nothing else to talk about in the bus game. But, anyway, that does it. Thank you so much for listening to the Trust the Buzz podcast a part of the Believe Podcast Network. If you have not checked out my YouTube channel, I suggest checking it out. If you want more Hornets content, I cover everything on there. I'm trying to add some film study. I'm trying to add like some more cinematic stuff kind of on there. It's just a lot of Hornets content. So if you like the Charlotte Hornets, I guarantee you my channel is a, a something you will enjoy. Um, other than that, thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.